Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. All right, how is my church family doing? I am assuming that all of you are native Coloradans, and that's how you were able to drive to church today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I am Daniel, for those of you who know me and don't know me. um, I'm a pastor on staff here, and I have the honor of speaking to you. And for me, it truly is an honor to speak to you. I take it very seriously. But before we jump into the message, we probably should get the cat out of the bag and talk to you about this filthy jersey I'm wearing on my body. And it's a very easy, easy explanation. And that is that I'm in a tense fantasy football league. And I have a buddy named Matt McDonald who lives in Dallas, Texas. And is a huge Cowboys fan. And this last year we were like, hey, you know, let's make a, a friendly bet, a friendly wager. And we go, all right, the loser. So at the end of the season, we all come together in Colorado and recap the season. And they were like, okay, the loser has to wear the opponent's jersey to get together. But of course, this is the year we get COVID and we can't all get together. So this is what happens. He goes, Daniel, you're a pastor, right? And I go, yeah, yeah. They call me Pastor Leach. I'm the, I'm the holy one, they say, in the, in, the, in the group. And he goes, well, why don't you go ahead and just wear it at church when you speak? And I was like, you stink, Matt. Like, come on. Like, there's so many other things that you could do. So this is the explanation of why I'm wearing this dirty jersey. Shout out to my fantasy league and Matt McDonald. Be nicer next time. Uh, but we are in the middle of a series called Advent. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor John talked to us about hope. And then last week, Pastor Jake talked about peace. Incredible messages. Highly, highly recommend it. And it's no secret to tell you what I'm talking about if you're following the Advent. This is the third week. We're lighting the candle tonight just to remind you. I'm I'm talking to you about joy. And the funny thing about words like love, joy, peace, and hope is it's so simplistic in nature. At its surface, it's so simplistic. Like, yeah, I know those things. But then you dig and you dig and it's deeper and it's an infinite well of wisdom. It's just, it's just our God is so easy to, to, he wants it to be simplistic at the base. So for example, the gospel, Jesus was perfect. We were imperfect. He died for our sins and that's how we can go to heaven. It's simplistic in nature, but then the more you dig, you know, he's inviting you to read the Bible, to be in relationship with you. And when you do that, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's exactly what happened to me with this message about joy. We all think we know what joy is, but if I were to ask you, define what joy is in your life. Define joy, just the word joy. I guarantee most of you would come along the lines of this, oh, it's when I'm happy. It would come along the lines of, oh, my children are successful. I am successful. My kids are healthy. Yes, those are good things, right? But that is happiness, not joy. So most people get stumped when they hear joy. And to disprove anything, we're saying, okay, well, Daniel, those, are, those don't bring joy. Yes, they bring joy, but joy is a choice. Happiness is happy stance. It's happening what's going on around you. So the perfect example in, in Hebrews, it says, Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy set before him. What? What? This man who's about to be captured, beaten, punched, kicked, spat on, a crown of thorns plunged onto his head, And then eventually the culmination of being hung on a cross with nails going through his wrists and his legs. And yet he's saying, I can endure the cross because of the joy set before me. 
You see, Jesus was under so much stress and so much anxiety that he literally was sweating blood, church. That's a very rare thing to happen. I guarantee most of us don't know somebody that's ever sweated blood. And the anxiety that was before him, the stress level. You see, happiness is external things and it's temporary, but joy is internal and it's infinite. But listen to me, church, when I say this, joy is a choice. You have to wake up every single day and say, I choose joy. I choose joy. There's a pastor in California at Saddleback. It's Rick Warren, but his wife is absolutely amazing. And she wrote a book on joy, highly recommended. But this is how she defined joy. Joy is the subtle assurance that God is in control of every detail in my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Joy is not always convenient, church. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. So I wanna take you on a little bit of an adventure uh, through my studies this week. And I don't think we have to look any farther than the first two chapters of Luke. And actually, believe it or not, this is the first time that God speaks to us in the New Testament and it's through an angel. It's through an angel. And the angel is defined as the Lord's messenger. So he sends his angels to speak to us. And I believe in these points, I have my first point will be what is stopping us from a joyful life? And then my next two points are what are we doing to invite joy into our life? What are we doing for a joyful life? So would you guys follow me on the screen? It's gonna be Luke 1, 8 through 20. And now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers has been heard and your wife will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord, the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in age. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So the first thing that we get from this story is disbelief is the root of a joyless life. 
Disbelief is the root of a joyless life. And I think we really need to, to understand what's going on in the story is to give you the background of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth were dedicated pastors, we would say. They've been doing it for years. The sacrifices, the incense, they were committed to this. But the most interesting fact, and I, this will lead me in my first point, from the end of the Old Testament, the last book is Malachi, to the time that the New Testament begins, is 400 years of silence. God is not speaking to his people for 400 years. And I could just imagine, Zechariah, you've dedicated your entire life to doing these things. And you're, I, you, there's no way that a pastor would dedicate their entire life without thinking, I want to hear the Lord speak to me. And then finally, the Lord speaks to him. And what's the first thing that he said? Prove it to me. Prove to me that you're the Lord. And he was punished for it. That's why he was mute until his son was born. So the first question that I want to ask you is when was the last time you heard the father's voice? Because I believe Zachariah didn't believe, didn't have the belief behind what God was saying because he didn't recognize the, the Lord's voice. It had been 400 years of silence. When was the last time? If he were to speak to you today, would you be able to recognize it? Would you be able to act on it? Would you be able to be obedient in what he is saying or would you question it and say, prove it to me? I need more proof than that. God doesn't want an explanation from you saying, I need more proof. He wants you to be obedient to what he's saying to you. Because when you're obedient, then he can trust you and then he can speak to you more and more and more and more and more. And I know everyone in the room is like, okay, what does that look like? For me, I wake up every morning, Jesus, thank you for giving me another day of living. And then later in the day, Jesus, I know that there was a creator of this pot roast that's delicious, but you were the creator of the spices in this, of the taste in my mouth, and I thank you. Jesus, I see a homeless person. I see someone in need. What do you want me to do here? I see someone that's troubled, Lord. Do you want me to pray for them? See, I think we fall in the mistake as Christians that every conversation we have to the Lord starts with a dear Jesus and ends with an amen, and that is not how it works. God wants an endless loop of a conversation with you. Endless conversation. If you're just saying, dear Jesus and amen, at the end, in the beginning of your day, how intimate do you think you truly can get with God? He wants your time, church. He wants your time. So the other point that we see in this story is the disbelief and joy. The disbelief and joy. So the first one is, when was the last time you heard the Lord's voice? The next one is disbelief and joy. And, and, and why this speaks to me so much is, is that the angel Gabriel comes and tells him something that he's been praying for years to have a child. And then he comes and says that this child will bring you joy. And then he questions it. And I think this is why we question it, man. We come to a certain age where we lose our innocence and then we begin to think, I don't deserve the best. I don't deserve to have joy. I don't deserve to be happy. And it's because we live in a fallen world that we have this ineptability that we get to a certain age and we start to think these things. And I could just see the hopelessness in Zachariah's life and Elizabeth's life saying, okay, we're never gonna have a baby. It is what it is. And then finally a prayer is answered and there's disbelief in Zachariah. Please explain to me how that makes sense. 
It's because we lose that innocence. And parents in this room, listen, we should be praying as long as possible that our children keep their innocence. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And there's people in this room that say, oh, I have lost my innocence, but guess what? There's spiritual innocence and there's people in this room that need to be set free and know and have hope in knowing that you can have innocence. It is not lost, it is not gone, and God wants to renew it into you today. I wake up every single morning with my child running into my room saying, Mr. Sun's awake. I'm like, it's 5 a.m. No, he's not. Go back to your room. And then we eventually wake up Lucy. Daddy! She just screams and runs towards me. And then we have Della who's just sleeping in our bed and just smiles, just a perfect little baby. And you know what it is? They have the joy of the Lord. Every day they wake up and they're just excited to be there. And I understand that we get to a certain age and we lose that innocence, right? And yes, we don't have the ability to, to gain that back spiritually or uh, physically on the earth, our earthly innocence. But it's just so funny that they, they don't have, they don't, it doesn't matter to them. I can't have a snack today. Man, they cry for two seconds and then they're on to the next thing. Children have true joy of the Lord. True joy of the Lord. Why do we as adults, why do we, when we get to a certain age, believe that we don't deserve the best? That we don't believe that we can have a joyful life. That we don't believe that God wants us to be happy. It's like you do something, you sin, and you think in your head, I don't deserve these things. But I guess really to combat that and to beat that down, you have to know how the father thinks about you. You have to understand how much he loves you. For those of you who have kids, you would do anything for them. And that is minute compared to the feeling that the Lord has for you. I wanna show you a video here of my children real quick, okay? And then I'll come back and, 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 and encapsulate what the meaning is. Do it again. Yeah, do it do again. again. Whoa. Can you go, go rar? Do it again. Go rar. Lucy, go rar. Lucy, go rar. So, first off, that noise you hear in the background it was my son Malachi. And I, I get done with the video. I was like, Malachi, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm an anteater. And I was like, how do you know what an anteater is? You're watching too much Arthur, son. No, I'm just kidding. And then, and Lucy's just rawr. Lucy, I hate to break it to you, but your rawr is not scaring anybody. It's actually inviting people to come to you. I think it's absolutely adorable, but I show you this video because I am blown away that these are my kids. I love them with every fiber in my body. And I know every parent in here feels the exact same way. You love your kids and you would do anything for them anything for them. And this is a fraction of the feeling in the way that the Lord feels about my kids 
But guess what? The Lord feels the exact same way about each and every one of you. You deserve joy. You deserve to live a joyful life. Stop letting the enemy come into your life and saying, oh, I messed up. I don't deserve this. You deserve a joyful life. Stop letting the enemy come and speak into your life and saying, I don't deserve these things. Because guess what? The way that the Lord feels about you is he wants you to have a joyful life. He wants you to have a good life. And church, listen, when I say joyful, just as Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy set before him, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. Things can be rough, things can be tough, things can be hard. But God wants to give you this joy because when you have joy, you will be able to endure those hard things. You deserve joy. You deserve it. Each and every one of you, I know you may have walked in this room today, maybe heavy laden and depressed and anxious, but God wants to set you free today from those things so you can have a joyful life. You cannot be fearful and joyful. You cannot be anxious and joyful. You cannot be depressed and joyful. And I know it's an absolute battle. And trust me, you'll hear a story a little later. I can relate more than anybody, not more than anybody, just as much as anybody in this room. You deserve joy. Stop letting the enemy tell you that you don't. You deserve it. So we understand that the thing, the root of a joyless life is disbelief. And the two sub points in that is when have you heard? When was the last time the Lord spoke to you? Can you recognize his voice? And the next one is disbelief in receiving joy. Disbelief that you deserve joy. If you want those things, you have to knock those out of your life. So my next point, I want to just start off with a scripture. It's in Luke 1, 30 through 38. And he said, do not be frightened, Mary. The angel told her, for God has decided to wonderfully bless you. Very soon now, you will become pregnant and have a baby boy. And you are to name him Jesus. You shall be very great and shall be called the son of God. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his ancestors, David. And he shall reign over Israel forever. His kingdom shall never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of God shall overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be utterly holy, the son of God. Furthermore, six months ago, your Aunt Elizabeth, the barren one they called her, became pregnant in her old age, for your every promise from God shall surely come true. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. And I know we look at this and you're like, oh, that's, that's a cute story. But this is the secret of how we get a joyful life. And I'll explain why. The first point in this is that Mary submitted herself to the Lord. She said, I am your servant and whatever you want, I am open to. And then the second thing she did was she trusted the Lord. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can do as Christians and, and people that read the Bible is when we look at these characters as fictional characters and not non-fictional characters, because when you say this is fictional, you are disrupting the emotional pull to these stories. So let me just try to make it more real for you. Mary was probably around the age of 13 years old when this angel came and told her that. So I want you to imagine your sisters, your mothers, your aunts, and their angel comes and says that you're gonna be pregnant. We freak out nowadays when we find out we're pregnant at 25. 
The last time we had, uh, when we had Della, my wife called me crying. And yet there's a 13-year-old girl approached by an angel saying, you're gonna have a baby, but it doesn't stop there. You're gonna carry the son of God. The son of God. Could you imagine? Could you imagine that? The responsibility at a 13-year-old girl to be told you're gonna be pregnant, but it's gonna be the son of God. Oh, and by the way, she's a virgin and she's promised to another man. In Jewish culture, the way it would work is that the, the, the person that would wanna marry it, the husband would come in and give somewhat of a dowry to the father, which in this sense was Mary's father, and they either accept or, or deny. He accepts it. Then Joseph goes and is laboring to build a house for them. And here's, here's the interesting thing. I think one of the most graceful stories, one of the best stories of grace in the entire Bible is how Joseph reacts when he finds out Mary is pregnant. See, he could have turned her in because guess what? If he turned her in, she would be stoned to death. But instead, what did Joseph do? She's like, we will call off the wedding, but I'm not gonna tell anybody. I could just imagine Mary in her bedroom or however it was back then, just crying out to the Lord, what am I gonna do when my stomach starts to show? Every single night, Lord, they could kill me. Lord, I submit myself to you as a servant and I trust you, what's gonna happen to me? No matter what happens, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. It's an honor to do these things. But when we say that she's a fictional character, it takes away all the gravity of what this 13-year-old girl was going through. She was under immense amount of stress, immense amount of anxiety. And it's just one thing of being pregnant. It was multiple things. It's a different culture that we lived in. Oh my gosh. Just imagine the anxiety and the stress that she was going through. So I wanna be vulnerable with you, church, because I believe when I'm vulnerable, you guys can be vulnerable with yourself. And this is near and dear. I walked away last night and I was like, maybe I was too vulnerable. Maybe I was too vulnerable. But 14 weeks ago, I was driving from my office uh, to, to Lone Tree and I'm stopped at a light at County Line and Quebec. And all of a sudden I get this like sharp taste in my mouth and then my chest gets numb, my, my arms are numb, my hands are numb and I'm, I'm like hyperventilating. So I pull over and I call my brother-in-law Ryan and I say, Ryan, I, I need you to take me to the hospital. So he takes me over to the hospital and they run the EKG test, they run everything and they're like, you're fine. Okay, I was like, well, what, what, is, what happened? because clearly I'm not fine, something's, something's wrong. And they were like, well, here, there's one of two things. You either had an allergic reaction or you had a massive panic attack. And I'm like, a panic attack? Why? Why a panic attack? I didn't understand it. I don't have too much to be anxious about. And I remember sitting in that room, my dad actually came by and he asked me, what do you think, we came to the culmination, that was a panic attack, what do you think caused that? And I said, well, dad, I think, because I had a lot of time in the, in the room to think about it, I said, I think as being an optimistic person that I pushed the problem out and out and out. 
And then you get a pessimistic person that's constantly living in the problem. And I said, I need to find the barrier of living, being a part of the problem, but not being in the problem and not pushing it and avoiding it. And then a few days later, I was like, okay, maybe it's just a one-time thing. I, uh, I was driving again and I had another panic attack. And it wasn't as severe as I thought. I thought I was literally gonna die the first time. I mean, I was praying to the Lord. I was praying over my children, my wife. I thought I was gonna die. And for those of you who have never had a panic attack, please have sympathy for people that have. Because I used to think that it was all mental, that you can deal with it. It's just what your, your mental strength how naive of me to say. It is very real and it is very debilitating. Every single morning to this day, 14 weeks ago, I wake up scared to drive. Every single morning. I've had to see a therapist because the therapist is telling me the reason why you're scared of driving is because your panic attack, your anxiety has attached itself to driving. So what he's saying, the way you beat it is by driving. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There's got to be something else. He said, nope, you got to go right at it. But church, you know what I have to say every single morning is Jesus, I trust you. I'm your servant. And I know that you have the best intentions for me. But I trust you, Jesus, that no matter the outcome, I believe that you have the best for me. And I believe that the Lord wanted me to share this today because there's people in this room right now that are dealing with that anxiety. And God wants to relieve that from you. And God wants to take that away from you right now. For those of you who are dealing with it, be open to what God is saying and to this message. Submit yourself to him. Submit yourself and trust him. Trust him and he will relieve that anxiety. He will relieve that stress. And you know what I've realized is that yes, I can say I'm your servant and I trust you, Lord. And then maybe later in the day, I still I start getting anxious and I have to say, Lord, I submit myself to you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. It's not just a one-time thing, guys. You have to do it over and over and over and over again. Just imagine Mary's anxiety and stress. Do you think she just said it at night? Lord, I submit myself to you. I trust you. Do you think she just said it to the angel at one time? I guarantee every single day, everywhere she went, she would say, Lord, I submit myself to you and I trust you. I submit myself to you and I trust you. And when you do those things, you can receive that joy. I said earlier that you can't be anxious and have joy at the same time. And it's this battle between the two. It's this battle. And church, trust me, I know as much as anyone in this room that's going through that, that battle, it is a daily battle. I've had to learn to let my wife drive me around sometimes when the anxiety is so massive and so big. I try to stay home as much as possible. I don't like driving at nighttime. You know what? I didn't say this in the last message. What helped me turn the corner in this, yes, was the submission and the trust. But when my mom came to me and she had empathy on me and she said, I understand where you're at, Daniel. You know, because when you're anxious, you want to say, you don't want to tell anybody. 
You want to hide it. When you're depressed, you don't want to show anybody. Especially as a man, you want to be like, oh, I'm tough. I don't have anxiety. I don't have panic attacks. But for my mother to come and say, Daniel, I understand what you're going through. I can tell that your personality has changed the past few weeks. And I know you're going through so much right now. But my mother comes and says, I trust you. And then for me to just break down and have that freedom. Church, God wants to set you free from that anxiety, that stress, and that depression today. He wants to bring joy into your life. And the best part is it's open for you guys. This Lord wants you to have this joy. He doesn't want you to be stuck in this season. There's a scripture in Psalms that says that weeping may go through the night, but joy will come in the morning. Church, there's joy tomorrow. There is joy outside of the season. No matter what you're going through in this moment in time, it is just a time. It is a season in the night and it might be hard. I trust me, I understand it's hard, but my hope in knowing that there's joy tomorrow. Jesus can go on the cross because joy is set before him. Then every single one of you in here that's dealing with anxiety, stress, depression, know that you can endure it because there's joy tomorrow. There is joy for you tomorrow, church. And God wants to give you that joy. It's submission and trust in the Lord. Submission and trust in the Lord. I have a good buddy named Eric Sheasley and his wife, Rachel Sheasley. They're absolutely incredible people. Love them to death. And we were in a study group and we would meet. It was for two years. And every week, every Thursday, we would come together. And he was my prayer partner. And I remember when he first came, he was talking about just like this, the stress level in his job because he, he, was, he deserved a promotion. He deserved these things and, and, and he wasn't getting it. And then as his family, there was strife going on constantly. And every week he was saying these, to me, these things to me, saying these things to me. And then finally, you know, we would pray over it. And then finally, I felt like the Lord gave me a prophecy for him. So I said, Eric, I believe that you're beginning a season of abundance and peace. But what you have to do is submit yourself to the Lord and trust him. And I said this to him and he goes, okay, let's do it. I want that. I want that. And within a year, he had two promotions and, and, and there's, there's so much peace at his house now. It's like, he's, he's like, it's boring now. There's nothing like, I can't even do anything. Like, yeah, it's amazing. But he received that stuff he heard the Lord speak because he was able to submit and trust in church. I believe that the Lord is prophesying to you today. If you want to be relieved of this anxiety, depression, submit yourself to the Lord and trust him. Maybe a story like Eric's can be a story like yours. That you could be anxiety free, that you could be depression free that you could be stress-free, that no matter, you might be stressed, there might be stresses in life, but you have the joy of the Lord to live with. You might not be happy in certain situations, but you have the joy of the Lord. I guarantee when Jesus went to the cross, there wasn't one ounce of fiber in his body saying, yay, I'm happy. I'm super happy that I have to do this. He actually asked the Lord, if there's any other way to do this, any other way. But then he ends by saying, not my will be done, but your will be done. 
So church, listen to what I am saying. Submit and trust in the Lord and you never know. You never know what we could be talking about you in a year. So my third and final point, I'll read a scripture. It's gonna be Luke 2, eight through 20. The night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news and will bring you great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God, saying, glory to God, the highest in heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everything what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So I, I believe that the final point of you receiving joy is the joy of our salvation. See, the second that this baby was born, humanity wasn't doomed anymore. Yes, there was 400 years of silence and there was dedicated people that God even looked at and were happy with, but we were doomed. Could you imagine being in that position? We live on the other side after Jesus' sacrifice. So for 2000 years, man has had hope in knowing that we've already have salvation. We have the opportunity to receive salvation. That before that baby was born, there was depression, there was anxiety, there was anger, there was malice people, there was sad people, there was depressed people. But the second that baby was born, instead of being depressed, we could be joyful. Instead of being anxious, we could be calm. Instead of being angry, we could be happy. The significance of that baby being born should bring such joy to our hearts because then we know that God always had a plan for us, that we were not left behind, that he wanted us. See, God doesn't need us, he wants us. He wants you. And that should bring such joy to our heart in knowing that God had a plan the entire time, the entire time, and that's Jesus's birth. In Matthew, it talks about the wise men. And when they saw the star, it says that they leaped with joy. Pastor John said a few weeks ago that even wise men need to search for the Lord. These wise men were searching and found their salvation in Jesus. Oh, it should bring such joy to your heart knowing that the God that we worship cared so much that he gave his one and only son. And I, I was asked this question, could you truly give away your son for humanity? For those parents, ask yourself that question. And if you honestly ask, you know, what do you, I don't know. I don't know if I could. 
If I'm being real, if I'm being raw, I would sacrifice myself, but it's hard to send your own child. You know, maybe in God doing that, you know, God could have come, right? And he could have sacrificed, but maybe in God doing that shows how much more he cared about you, that he gave his only son to us. And that the second he was born, we had hope again that the second he was born, that we could be eternity with the Lord. Man, that should bring such joy to your heart. That should bring such joy to your heart. Jesus's life began and ended with a story of joy, with a story of joy. Church, why is it so hard in the season where we talk about love, hope, peace, and, and um, joy the most this season? Why is it so hard for us to actually act out on those things this time of the year? This is the time of the year that we should be joyful because we are celebrating the birth of our salvation. The everything to us. The reason we're meeting in this very room is because what happened that day when that baby was born gosh, it should bring such joy to know that we weren't hopeless anymore. I, I, I talk with my brother quite often and, and we talk for hour or two hours over the phone with him being downtown and me, you know, being up here with family, it's hard to connect in person a lot, but we still make that happen. But we, we make it a point to talk a few times a week. And I would say about half the time, we'll talk an hour or two, like I said, half the time is at least dedicated to trivia. We play trivia for like an hour. And since I have the mic and he's not here, I absolutely wipe the floor with him. He's got no chance against me. And, and he goes, actually he did stump me this last week and that's what I wanna bring up. He goes, Daniel, who is the only non-Jewish Messiah in the Bible? And I said, what are you talking about? There's only one Messiah. And he goes, no, there's not. And he goes, if you look, I think it was Isaiah 45, I don't remember. But if you look in there, it says that Cyrus the Great was the Messiah. And it's because Messiah in definition is called the anointed one. But then he says to me, but Daniel, you got to understand this. The second that Jesus was born, yes, he was the anointed one. But the second that Jesus was born, he changed the definition of what Messiah is and that there would never be another Messiah, that he would be the one and true Messiah. And if Jesus can change the definition of a word, what do you think he can change about you? Jesus can just change what you are defined by. Who you are today is not who you have to be tomorrow. And Jesus can set you free from those things. Jesus wants to change the definition of you. Every time that angel came, every time Gabriel came, started off with fear not. Fear not, I come bringing a message of great joy. Church, I know that you would think a message about joy wouldn't be as serious as what it is today, but fear not and know that the Lord is going to set you free from these things. That I bring you a word and a message of great news. The message that's coming from me, coming from my heart and not my words. I prayed before I got in here, Jesus, let your words, let your voice come out. I am a vessel and I am a servant. This is him speaking to you. This is him saying these things to you. Fear not, fear not. Be open to what the Lord is going to do to you. Would you guys join me in prayer? Jesus, we so love you.
We just even think back 2,000 years, Jesus, and the salvation, the joy of our salvation, knowing that you would never, ever, ever give up on us, knowing that you always had the best in mind for us, that even in 400 years of silence, that you had a plan. And Jesus, I know that you ordained the people that came to this service at 9 a.m. on a snowy day. I know that it's not our, as big as it typically is because of the snow, but I believe God ordained you to be here today because he's going to set you free from anxiety. He's gonna set you free from stress. He's gonna set you free from malice. He's gonna set you free from depression. So I pray and break it right now, Jesus. Right now, no anxiety, no more depression. I pray for peace in their life right this second. I pray for joy in their life right this second. I pray for hope, Jesus. Bring that to them, Jesus. They are here because they wanna be set free. They are here, they are intentionally here, wanting to be closer to you. So Jesus, set them free, set me free, Jesus. Set me free of anxiety. Whatever people are going on in this room, whatever's going on, Jesus, I pray for freedom in their life. I pray for freedom in their life, Lord. And the only way that it can be done is through you. So Jesus, oblige me in this prayer and set these people free from anything that's going on in their lives. Whether they don't believe that they can receive joy, whether they don't believe that they can be happy, Jesus, I pray that you would break that off them, Lord, right this second and give them joy. Let them believe in joy. Oh, Lord, you are so good. I feel his presence in here right now and people's chains are being broken. People's depression is being broken. Anxiety be, is being changed. His spirit is here. His helper is here and he is setting his people free. So be free right this second. Be free, Lord. Do whatever you want to do, Jesus. All I know is I submit myself. These people submit themselves and we trust you, Lord. And what the best joy in the world is the joy of our salvation. That even no matter what goes on on this earth, that we have hope for tomorrow. That we have joy for tomorrow. And Lord, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's going on around us, we choose joy. We choose joy. I love you, Lord. I thank you so much for my church family. And I pray, I pray, I pray, Lord, that people are set free today. People are set free. And then the only way that it's possible is in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.